0: Welcome to another special edition of the Ninja Tune podcast with our guest, Sarathi Korwa, interviewed by Throwing Shade, who was a previous guest on the show. He talks about the recording of his new album, Day to Day, that's out on Ninja Tune, touring with Kamasi Washington, and their shared experiences at the School of Oriental and African Studies. We also hear just some of the music that has influenced him over the years. After that, we turn our attention to some of the new releases coming out in the Ninja Tune family of labels, with tracks by Romare, The Invisible remixed by Floating Points, Thundercat, Machine Drum, and Roots Maneuver remixed by Pinch. So stay tuned for that.
1: Welcome to the Ninja Tune podcast. I'm Nabiha, otherwise known as Throwing Shade, and today I'm going to be chatting to Saaddi Korwa, who's just released his debut album on Ninja Tune.
2: Hello. (laughs) How's it going?
1: I'm good. How are you? I'm
2: very well, yeah. It's a nice day.
1: Um, So it's really good to chat to you on here because we've already... Done this, done this before yeah. on my NTS show yeah. and I think that went really well. Yeah. Um, it's always really interesting to speak to you about your music yeah. and your influences. Oh, so it's great
2: to chat. Yeah, yeah it's...
1: Maybe you want to start by just introducing your album yeah. that's just come out on Ninja. Yeah.
2: So the album's called Day to Day and it's based around these field recordings I made of these uh, folk musicians called the Siddhis who are a community of people who over kind of centuries have migrated from the eastern coast of Africa over to India, you know, from as merchants and, you know, traders and from way back in like the 8th century AD to like with all the colonies, so with the British, with the Dutch, with the Portuguese, with the French and uh, and I've just been coming ever since and I've now kind of settled in India. So it's the Siddhi is kind of like a ban- sort of blanket term for anybody who has immigrated from from Africa East Africa so it's hard to tell where exactly they're from or if, if they are from any one specific place um, but their music really fascinated me you know so I kind of um, heard about them through an ethnomusicologist called Amy Kathleen Jarasboy, boy. Uh, and she told me about them and I was, you know, hooked when I saw the kind of music they were making, the kind of instrumentation they have, just their kind of history and like cultural sort of, you know, distinctiveness that they have about them. And so I kind of went and spent like a week just recording them. In, in a place called Ratanpur which is in on the western coast well not on the coast it's in the western uh, state of Gujarat in India and then we basically kind of made these recordings uh, well these field recordings kind of as the kind of core sort of foundation of the album and there's loads of like I suppose like responses and like reactions to those kind of field recordings by like contemporary musicians that makes the like the whole album basically
1: and when you went out to record the um, musicians in their in their homes in India were you already planning to write an album so was this part of the project yeah it it was part of the
2: project but it was a very rough idea in my mind I just thought I'd want to spend time with these guys and then see what happens basically I had no idea what kind of music I'll end up with after the first week with them once I had once I had spent time with them I was kind of thinking through like very naturally like some kind of ideas started kind of developing and uh, I kind of worked on a few arrangements or different songs but essentially I wanted everybody who I wanted to record like the contemporary musicians especially to just be able to kind of have their thumb or like print on the mark on their album like so them to kind of just like come up with stuff themselves um, so it was a very kind of you know in a way democratic way of just making music
1: and how did you get from the field recordings to then this album that's like spiritual jazz I don't
2: know I don't know it's just
1: free form kind of stuff well
2: the idea was again like to record in a room together basically I mean we've talked about this before but it's basically like I think I enjoy like creating music in a room like with other people like just playing and that's where I'm kind of most comfortable Um, So that's exactly what I did. Basically we went into a room uh, in a studio and we just played. And what's on the album now is just, you know, is essentially that, it's just me sitting behind a computer after recording hundreds of hours of music and then just like editing it down to, you know, make it sound like something.
1: So was it mostly improvisation? Yeah, it was no all thing?
2: improvised. And I mean, we kind of worked on a few rough structures, but a lot of it is quite improvised. And we kind of worked on things that just came on the day. I mean, the whole album was recorded over four days, like in the studio. We just, boom, a, we're done. Oh,
1: and, I, I'm know. trying to write an album right now. If I could do it in four days, that would be pretty good. But I think, <laughs>
2: you, I mean, the way you do it is quite different, no? Like, so you kind of, t- tell me how you, you gotta do it. you got
1: to tell me right?
2: a secret. A secret? Just go and play, that's it. <laughs>
1: well, I don't have, like... Uh, East African diasporic this field is recordings true. This to is, true. This is true. but maybe I should maybe I should try. But well, how that do approach. you normally
2: do it then? Like, do you have a way of working?
1: It just depends. I mean. I guess it starts from the same sort of process that you have of improvisation but just I'm alone. So yeah. just messing about and then finding either starting with the drums and seeing if I come up with a pattern that I like or otherwise just trying to figure out some chords or even just the melody line and then taking it from there.
2: And do you like do you do you enjoy working by yourself? Like is that something that you always kind of wanted to do or?
1: Yeah, I don't mind it. I mean, it's fine, but it's the, like the last couple months i've just been by myself basically the whole time <laughs> because i'm in the studio all day and then i go home and i live by myself and so it's been quite like yesterday i was thinking wow i haven't actually spoken to anyone in real life for a few days well, this is
2: the problem right i think like nobody warns you what life as a freelance musician would be like like it's a very lonely affair like it could be quite a solitary kind of
1: It is, it just, it basically just reminds me of academia when I was studying for my master's. Well, exactly,
2: and it's like something that I wasn't like prepared for in a way when it kind of started happening and I was like, shit, actually, like, I don't really meet too many people on like a very everyday kind of basis. Yeah. And.
1: I think I prefer that. I think I choose that, Mm. yeah.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I enjoy it as well, but it's just that I wasn't, it was, it kind of came as a, a bit of a like shock, you know, it was like, oh, actually, you know what, this is how it works
1: but then you but you work with other musicians too though I do
2: a lot I think that kind of comes from also the need to kind of like just interact with people and like yeah just play with them very often like even when I practice I like practicing with other people Uh, sometimes you know it's of course like fun to do your own thing like but I really do like value like collaborating with people Mm -hmm. I think that's like the core of how I make music
1: Yeah, so that's, yeah, I guess that's probably one of the big differences between us and our music, for sure. I just want to ask you a few more questions about the album it is one of my favorite records that i've heard this oh, year thanks. and i'm not just saying that thanks. and um then after oh no was it before the release that you went on tour with kamasi yeah it was just, after, before. just before so it worked right? out
2: really well like yeah. in terms of like a lead up to the album launch and things it was uh, we got a call out of the blue like my booking agent called me and said like are you free next week like for four days to go on tour and I was like no you know I have stuff to do I have like interviews to do and she was like it's with Kamasi Washington I was like alright okay (laughs) stop everything (laughs) (laughs) cancel everything and like frantically calling the band to like you know try and see if it can work and I mean everybody was obviously very excited it was a great opportunity so everybody kind of jumped at it so yeah it was great I mean you know just playing like like you say you know like free kind of spiritual jazz to like 3000 people just doesn't happen and I didn't know what I was doing there the first night. And I was just like, "What? what? You know, this is not right in some way." But of course, it was fun. It was great. Yeah. And I mean, it was a great opportunity. But
1: I feel like Kamasi Washington's kind of paving the way for all of well, that is, stuff. You know, like a revival where it's he's presenting this kind of jazz music to a younger contemporary audience. Well,
2: why do you think that is? Like, do you have any like?
1: Why do I think Why that? Why do you
2: think Kamasi is, you know, like, because I've had I this discussion with a lot of people. and it's You like, know,
1: because yeah. he's got kudos and he's got his connections and, you know, he's associated with Thundercat and Flying Lotus and so many other musicians yeah. who are really relevant. I to, think the whole
2: Kendrick Lamar thing as well. Really yeah, kinda exactly. Took off for him. Yeah.
1: Because I feel like... Um, Thundercat
2: and all these guys. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Young people don't listen to enough jazz music. Mm.
2: But there's that whole, like like idea of like jazz is like the renaissance it's like a resurgence right of like jazz and everybody's talking about it like jazz is the new thing um, which is kind of helpful for me obviously yeah, because it's like okay me. great no. <laughs> well it might be you never yeah. know like. but also because like everything's being called jazz nowadays as well like you know it's quite a loose term and I mean I'm not particularly like you know I don't think that's particularly a bad thing it might not be but Yeah, it's definitely, like, people like Kamasi, I think, like, I don't think my album would have done as well if Kamasi hadn't been a success. Do you really think so? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I genuinely think that, that, I think the fact that he is also, like, on Brain Feeder and the fact that he is such a success, a lot of people look at him and say, okay, like, you know, it's possible to do the kind of thing that he's doing. And maybe we should invest in, maybe, you know, more jazz
1: What does it feel like to be a jazz musician in London right now?
2: I think it's exciting. There's lots of really cool. I think like the London jazz scene right now is like really, really kind of paving the way. I mean, I can't really speak for like I don't really know any other scene as well as I do, obviously. But I think like you know with some great bands and like the whole kind of Caribbean inspired like influence like jazz, like it's just such a melting Pot, obviously. That, you know, all these kind... Like, people like Yusuf Kamal or, like, uh, Binker and Moses and, like, Shabaka, Sons of Kemet and, like, Comet is coming. and Like, exciting music, you know, coming out of London. I don't know if that kind of stuff is coming out of New York or... Of course, New York has, like, the heavy, heavy cats, you know, like the... Uh, Mark Julianas and like all the like Brad Meldows and all those guys which is cool and of course they'll always have their place in like the jazz world. I think there's a lot of exciting music coming out that kind of is reaching a lot of people who wouldn't maybe be listening to jazz or that kind of music before
1: so that's good no it's definitely good it's definitely good i think jazz normally has quite cheesy reputation yeah when you say that word and you ask people what what it makes them think of and it's never the good stuff
2: all this kenny g isn't it yeah kenny g not kenny garrett (laughs) yeah yeah yeah.
1: Yeah. so also i wanted to ask you about five tracks that You were influenced by Yeah Or like whatever Like five tracks that you can choose
2: Yeah so I had to think about this And like It's been obviously very difficult But I've come up with five Which is For me quite an accomplishment In itself Um, So the first track So I thought it will be like I should pick like five tracks that Like over time Like since I was a kid That have kind of influenced The way I think about music So like the first track I would say is like Is The End By The Doors Okay Because I was a big Doors fan Like growing up Like since I was about 12, 13 Like And right up to now Basically But Just because like They're one of the first bands That I really Like listened to Like Entire albums of And Again like I think the kind of music that I was listening to even back then Even though it was like rock, rock and roll kind of music It always had this kind of very jazz sensibility Because like all the guys in the band were basically jazz musicians
3: This is the end Beautiful friend This is the end My only friend The end Of our elaborate lies the end of everything that stands the end, no safety or Can you picture what will be so limitless and free, desperately in need of some stranger's hand? It And all
2: So the Doors were, like, a big, ba- like, like very formative band for me, like, in the in the way I was listening to music. And, like, The End is one of those songs, man. Like, it's, like, what, 11 minutes long, 12 minutes long? And, like, for a band to do that... And just the way it's kind of structured and, like like, musically, as well as, like, its kind of narrative structure is so unique. And, like, yeah, it's, like, they were, like, pioneering that kind of stuff back then. It was great.
1: Yeah, they definitely got the... Their own sound, the doors, even when you put them into the context of all the other music that was happening at the same time.
2: And also it was that whole lack of bass player and like organ kind of sound because of, you know, Ray Ray Manzarek and like John Densmore on drums, like Robbie Krieger, all these guys had something like very distinctive about them. And so, yeah, that's my like first track.
1: So how did you come to London when you started studying at SOAS? Yeah, so I kind
2: of finished like my undergrad in, in a place called Pune in India. And then I moved over to study music when I was about twenty-two.
1: Was your undergrad not in music?
2: No, it was in environmental science, sustainable like energy.
1: So it's quite a jump then.
2: Yeah, I was all set on becoming like an urban planner or something, and then it was just like, I think my my teachers at uni went very very good. It was just not a very inspiring place to be, and at the same time, I was playing a lot more music and just getting into like the the scene in Pune which is a really nice like good scene musically and um, so like you know after university I just took a year out just playing and teaching drums and from then on it was never kind of like I didn't look back in terms of like
1: you started playing drums a lot earlier though right?
2: no I mean yeah I started playing drums when I was about 15 16 Uh, I started playing tabla when I was about 8 okay so like by the time I was about 19-20 I was playing a lot more drums than tabla uh, I always really wanted to just play drums like tabla happened and I like obviously like I love tabla and like and I play a lot of it but and you still it, play it now, I still right? play it a lot it's yeah, 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 it's like my bread and butter like tabla I kind of go back to the tabla all the time and I still enjoy playing a lot of like Indian classical music and it's still my you know kind of main thing in a way um, but yeah I always wanted to be a drummer like, like I was listening to like growing up listening to like jazz records or like rock and roll and it was always like drums like yeah,
1: and so in that year out when you were playing a lot more music, is that when you decided? You
2: yeah, to- it was kind of this one year out where I kind of gave myself some time to say, okay, look, if it's kind of, is this really something that I could do, like money wise, but also just like excitement wise. Like it was a time where, you know, like in uni- and like university, you're a bit like there's lots of stuff happening and there's lots of like interests and some things like, you know, make more sense than others, but like you kind of got to pursue one of them to see if there is anything in it for you and um, so yeah once I took that year out it was just like you know I, yeah. just no looking back from then like it was just like yeah
1: and how, how is your time at SOAS and if, I guess for yeah. any, if anyone's wondering SOAS stands for the School of Oriental and African Studies yeah. which is one of the colleges in the University of London
2: yeah And so we, that's the kind of shared connection that we have, right? So you went there. When did you go there?
1: I went there for my undergrad and I was there from 2006 to 2009.
2: Right. So I was there 2011 to 12. Like, so I just did my master's there. Okay. Um, So So we just
1: missed each other by a few years. A few
2: years, yeah. yeah, But I
1: guess probably nothing much had changed
2: in the music department. No, I bet it's exactly the same. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was great. So I went to music school before I went to SOAS, like for a couple of years here in London. And that was very different. That was like a contemporary music school. So it was very much like, you know, just like all about practice and like getting the right kind of technique and like chops and, you know, um, heavily playing a lot of jazz at the time. And, And then SOAS was like a breath of fresh air because it was so like multicultural and so so open in terms of the kind of exposure I was getting at SOAS and the kind of people I was meeting, the kind of discussions we were having, the kind of classes I was taking. Um, So like we both did ethnomusicology didn't we? Like I did kind of performance in ethnomusicology Uh, what did you do?
1: Mine was just ethnomusicology. I actually studied joint honours so I did history and ethnomusicology. Yeah
2: so what was like what was your experience with SOAS like?
1: Yeah it was amazing. I love SOAS. (laughs) and
2: I wish I'd done my undergrad there, because I feel like SOAS would have been a lot more fun as a, like an undergrad student than as a master's student. Yeah, the
1: master's students like, are always a lot more serious.
2: Yeah, and it was just... Yeah, I spent a lot of time in the library.
1: Yeah, I was good. known as the library girl. Really? Yeah, because I... I was like a real geek at uni especially in final year and every single day I went in there from 9am to 11pm Oh
2: no, man!
1: and people started calling me library girl That's not it's a good library though yeah it's really it's good, good it's a good library you can like cut the sexual tension with a knife in there it's true I it's went, really, I went yeah. back like a few years later just to I don't know look something up and it just hit me then I was like jeez <laughs> it's this is true so you, don't, much
2: you don't feel it when you're in there like, yeah. you know, it's like, and yeah, everyone's
1: really good looking at SOAS SOAS so. everyone's beautiful yeah. Yeah. Once someone passed me a note through the book stacks. Really well yeah. done. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. Nice.
1: <laughs> it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah no. I, I I really appreciate appreciated my time at SoAS, and I mean for my masters I then went to Cambridge, which was at the opposite end of the spectrum, and so then that kind of put SoAS into even more of a perspective right. for me. Right. Um, it's definitely a unique place to study.
2: Yeah. But uh, do you think it kind of like changed the way you kind of Went about making music. You were making music before then, right? Yeah,
1: I've been. Ma- I was making music before. I mean, for sure. I guess the main thing that studying at SOAS did for me was just to broaden my horizons mm. because it introduced me to so many musical styles and cultures that I'd never even heard of before. Yeah, and then um, yeah, so it just made me want to look further and learn more about different processes as well and yeah. like how people perform or put yeah. together music and also what it means for different people so I what think music means what to what different music yeah means.
2: absolutely I think that's one thing that I also kind of like it kind of definitely shattered a lot of ideas of or like preconceptions of what music might be just to me Or, like, in a very narrow sense, like, what it is to me, like, as an urban kid. Yeah. Like, you know.
1: well, I guess, like, the way that I grew up, music, music, the role that music plays here, it's just you listen to music for the sake of listening to music.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's true for anyone. I mean, for a lot of people, anyway. I think that's true, regardless of where you grow up. I mean, like, in a certain kind of world. It's 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 essentially how you access music. I guess for in the first time.
1: world. Yeah. Maybe. Or, yeah, But then um yeah, so I never really thought about it more than other you know, more than just oh I love this song and I enjoy listening to music and playing it and going to gigs. And then being at SOAS just made me realise that actually there's a lot there is a lot more to it. Yeah. And you should think about it more too.
2: Yeah. I think also like it kinda helped me like just be more aware of the kind of like prejudices or the kind of like power equations that do exist like in different kind of in a more kind of anthropological sense I guess that's what ethnomusicology does in a way right it kind of makes you more aware of who you are in relation to to the kind of music you're listening to or performing yeah and that was quite helpful like in terms of like how I ended up then like thinking about the own music my own music and the way like I wanted to kind of perform it and the kind of context I was performing it in and like who it was for and what the meaning of like performing it was <laughs> all those kind of questions that was yeah it was cool to go through all those things I think
1: I'm still figuring it out yeah yeah of course sure. like,
2: and it changes I guess right
1: yeah yeah The second track
2: okay so like the second track is uh do you know this band called dawn of midi
1: dawn of midi yeah as MIDI a midi track
2: midi track yeah they're no. on erase tapes uh a great band like three-piece um super like minimalist kind of like yeah like just minimalist kind of groove ideas you got to listen to it to kind of see what i mean um it's, yeah, it's it's incredible. In fact, one of the tracks on my albums, like, heavily influenced by them. Like, the track Indefinite Leave to Remain on my album is kind of based around a similar kind of rhythmic idea that I found on the Dawn of Midi album. Um, Already, like, inspired by, like, it's, yeah, something that I wanted to try in my own music. Um, yeah, it's great. Don't know what else to say about it, but it's, it's great. Okay. I like it. Yeah. We'll just listen to it. Yeah, I just listen to it.
1: After you finished studying did you just figure out that you just wanted to stay in london
2: well yeah that was the plan like i wanted to stay in london and uh, just play for a bit i did consider doing a phd but then no, no <laughs> it just wasn't i mean i would do a phd but it's like i really just enjoy playing like if somebody gave me the option to like just be playing music full time i would not turn it down like,
1: yeah. No so there was always this
2: thing, like, oh, maybe I should do a PhD because you know maybe like the performance stuff will dry up. No. But,
1: so there was. Yeah. Besides, if you were t- you were talking about feeling isolated, doing a PhD would make it Gone. way
2: worse. Gone. I need therapy. Straight, yeah, straight that's what away. I realized
1: when I was doing my MPhil because I was kind of right. on the same path and thinking, oh well, I'll do this like you know on the way to a PhD but also
2: everyone expects you to right if you're doing an MPhil it's like everybody just kind of assumes well that's what she's gonna do yeah
1: Yeah. but no way (laughs) that year just made me realize I can't do that because that was really like isolating yeah I think I mean it was cool it was cool to just delve into one subject so deeply and be surrounded by all the resources you need and you yeah. know like great and what was the fill in though? Um, it was in African history okay but specifically I was looking at the role of the black press the political role of the black press during apartheid all in right. South Africa South
2: Africa okay that's cool yeah and then did you were you making music at the same time or?
1: yeah I was making music at the same time but you know i never really thought anyone would listen to it yeah just i've been making music i guess since i was about 15 or 16 oh, yeah. and stuff yeah and then it things just took a weird turn for me too because i was planning to be a lawyer okay a barrister
2: nice yeah and then what, what happened
1: <laughs> i don't know that's what my parents are still asking yeah, me and then, and then. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah i don't know really like i was doing that did the law conversion course i did the bar then i went out to south africa and i was working there with human rights lawyers and then i came back to london and then yeah and then all this music stuff just started happening like i got offered my own show on nts mm-hmm. and then
2: um that's a wicked show by the way oh it's yeah, really thanks. Great, yeah it's a really nice show <laughs> gotta do
1: it tomorrow like um and <laughs> then after that and then my sound like Kasim Moss picked up my soundcloud and liked the tracks and then he got in touch and wanted to release it and then everything has just been kind of spiralling from there Yeah. and I just thought if I don't take this opportunity now when am I going to take it mm. so I was like I'm going to do music full time for a That's bit it. That's it. it's hard but it's fun
2: oh it's fun it's great I mean, but it's... everything's
1: hard at the beginning so yeah I think so yeah What's your third track that you've
2: chosen? So the third track is by this guy called Jamayo Brown who's um, this drummer and like composer who had this like amazing album called Transcendence in back in 2013 and it just completely blew my mind. It was like, it's basically an album that's based around like this one choir of gospel musicians uh, in, I think from Alabama. Not sure entirely But uh, The G's band community Yeah And uh, It's like this free jazz album Based around This gospel Like Samples And it was so amazing It just completely Like It was so fresh It was just so great Like I really I loved it And that kind of Inspired me to think about Like doing a similar album In terms of like Basing it around like Music that I really Like you know Like value like admire and so that's how I kind of in a way that album was like very very influential in the way I started thinking about how I should work with samples and with the Siddhi musicians um, and so it kind of yeah you can definitely hear like his his stuff you know yeah. influencing my work a lot
1: you made me want to listen to that album now
2: it's a great album really really great
3: Everything is moving around. Everything moving body power of God. Every,
5: everything moving body power of God. I roll this
3: morning. We body power of God. I rode this morning. We body power.
1: Are your parents cool with it?
2: Yeah, they're both really cool with it, I think. I mean, they've always been quite cool with it. They, they both sing, like, kind of semi-professionally. Um, so they were always kind of very encouraging. And they've always just said, like, yeah. They've not really meddled in... Anything to the point where sometimes I need to ask their opinion on things like they they just kind of have this very laid back attitude, really. But yeah, it's it's amazing. That's it's quite great.
1: unusual for Asian parents, yeah,
2: it is. And I mean, I mean, everybody kind of is really surprised when I say that, but like you should, yeah, yeah, they're amazing, yeah. that really helped I mean what can I say (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. my parents
1: are coming around to it no they're coming around they're, they're cool with it now but I think they won't be totally cool with it until I actually make loads of money from it right because
2: have you broken it to them that might like that might take a while
1: yeah well it might take a while but it's gotta happen
2: yeah Gonna happen, yeah. It's going
1: to happen. It's going to happen. I have to do it. Good I want to live in the Barbican and sure. and I, I want I want a Ferrari, nice. so.
2: Right. Well, <laughs> that, that's like it. the ultimate Bucket dream. List. Yeah.
1: yeah. I don't know if that will happen.
2: That's cool. But on that so you're making another album you're on you're kind of currently.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to work on music for an album and it's yeah, it's amazing to be able to do that. I've just moved into a new music studio so I can just focus 100%. Um and yeah, it just kind of reminds me of just being back at the library again. Yeah. Do you know what I mean, like quite it a bit strict like regime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm making sure I just get in there all day, every day, and just work. But the thing is, with something creative, it's like you can do ten hours work and nothing comes out of it. But then you kind of have to go through that beautiful struggle, and then you get to that one kind of like moment of epiphany where you get a mm. good idea, and then you can just yeah. make a track.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's about breaking through that kind of barrier, isn't it? Like, yeah. I think like it's very hard to kind of keep playing when you when you feel like it's not going anywhere, and like your initial kind of instinct is to just stop playing.
1: Exactly. And
2: just like take a break, but sometimes like
1: you just have to keep just, going. Yeah,
2: and then when you stop caring a little bit, it kind of comes. Yeah. Sometimes also. Like, I think
1: I need to care less, but it's just difficult. I mean, the other day my dad was telling me he's like, "You just need to make optimistic music that makes people feel happy," but then. Everything that I'm thinking about right now is so depressing because 2016 2016. is the worst year so far. It's been pretty bad. In terms of world events. Yeah. So I just feel like, (laughs) I don't know, making depressing music. But I guess I can still be optimistic.
2: Yeah, but do you go into like, when you're thinking about making music, do you think about like themes and stuff? Or do you think about like...
1: Not always, but sometimes, yeah.
2: Yeah? Yeah. See, I always kind of find it a bit weird like to think about like themes like that purely because like I kind of feel like when you're listening to songs like your emotional response should probably be more like complex than like any one kind of theme that you might be thinking about you know and like the songs that I really love or like the kind of music that like really makes an impact on me is stuff that uh, is difficult to kind of articulate like in any kind of words or in any kind of emotion really in like one emotion so like trying to make music i find it difficult like trying to make music with something in mind like a theme and mind in sense because it, it it surely has to be like more complex than that in a way
1: so what's your fourth track
2: fourth track is uh, by this person called Usad rashid khan who's a indian classical singer hindustani singer uh, it's a very famous singer, and he's singing this uh, composition in Rag Bahar, which is uh, Bahar means outside, and it's kind of like a springtime.
1: Is it morning thing. or evening?
2: Well, it depends. I mean, it's more like got to do with the this. It's more a seasonal thing than a day and night thing. So Rag Bahar is that. Um, I I picked this song because it's just one of my favorite like compositions. Not comp. I mean, kind of renditions of Bahar that I enjoy I really like his voice I could have picked a lot I mean I could have picked from a lot of different singers but I just wanted to have one Indian classical song in there because it's such a huge influence on the way I work and it's just I still listen to a lot of it you know like if you go through my Spotify playlist a lot of it is just Indian classical music so
5: (Sings) Go, <Sings> ya How do
1: you feel about working with samples in general? Anyway, is it I something love it. you do a lot? For?
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's far more interesting because then I don't need to write a lot of music. Like, it just gives you a kind of framework to work, like, or to improvise within. So the samples just give you a certain, like, melodic or, like, rhythmic framework. Or, like, you know, because you're, you're hearing things and then you're playing your reactions to that. And so automatically there's already, like, everybody's locking into those ideas. It's not completely free, you know. Um, but it, it just gives you that kind of focus, I think, that really... I, I really like just enough, you know, not too much, not too much like direction in terms of like what exactly to play, but just enough to kind of focus you into playing. Yeah,
1: yeah, I guess it makes things a bit easier.
2: Yeah, I just think like I found a nice balance at least uh that I was happy with. Like, everybody's obviously got different, you know,
1: yeah. I think um on your record, you do it in a pretty good way because I mean, like. Talking about sampling anyway can be quite contentious but yeah. I, what I liked on your record is how you hear on quite a few of the tracks you hear the recording first and then yeah. and then the music will fade into it so it's almost like a sort of gate into... Yeah
2: exactly on a couple of songs that's definitely like the, the kind of like attempt like on dreaming and things like that. It's just basically this person talking and then the sample leads into like a whole dream basically and comes out into him speaking again. And like a lot of, yeah, definitely like used it in that
0: sense. <laughs> हमारे जो हुजूर सल्लल्लाहु सललम वसल्लम थे आप हमारे हजरत बिलाल थे हजरत बिलाल हजरतुल्लाह सैयद नदी साहब उनकी मंगनियन वगैरह था था तो उसको तो साहब सरकार ने वहां पे बाजा देखा था माशाल्लाह सरकार बोला आप क्या तो बहुत प्यारा बाजा है तो सरकार बोलती है कि आपको बजाते आता है बिलाल को बुला के बेशक बोले बिलाल बिलाल बोल दे मेरे को बेशक बजाता है तो बोले कैसे बजाते थे बोले पुकार बोले तो क्या बोलता है बोले मुझे सुना तो फिर बाजा अपने आप सरकार ने अपना बाजा बजाया तो फिर क्या तो पहले आपने बजाया
1: do you think you'll carry on making music with um, like an explicit reference to your heritage of Indian music?
2: I mean I'm not gonna try to but I think it's gonna happen like because it's there and like a lot of what I do is comes from that kind of tradition of making music so yeah I mean I don't think I'm gonna explicitly try and do that but it's going to be there in some way or the other.
1: Do you use the same techniques? Because obviously like Indian classical music is all an oral technique. There's no sheet mm-hmm. music and mm-hmm. you just learn the yeah. scales and then you...
2: I don't like, you know. yeah, but don't use sheet music at all. I, I ban the whole band from using paper, like sheets on stage. Really? Not allowed to use. Why no. did you?
1: Well, did because that come you need to be able with...
2: to look at other people and like react to what's happening there instead of staring at a piece of paper it's just not Did
1: they put up a fight or not? no
2: most of them get it you know most of them are quite happy as well because like having a piece of paper on stage also then well you can't really make a mistake then because it's there like you're under pressure to get things right like if you, do, if you don't play it right then you're just like oh he hasn't written it right or he or she hasn't read it right so if you take it out of the way you just play I think there's less pressure
1: it definitely creates a barrier yeah doesn't it? I guess the modern day version of that would be the laptop
2: well maybe People. but not necessarily no? it depends how you use the laptop yeah. yeah, but I think like I see a lot of jazz musicians playing like with like iPads now like on their stands and like really reading. yeah it's, just, it's fine I mean it depends what you're trying to do I guess like my whole thing is that when you're performing you should just be trying to like find those moments of spontaneity with each other or like whatever
1: and, and connecting yeah
2: and that and pieces of paper like any information that's there staring you, you in the face is only going to come in the way i think
1: okay so we've done four tracks now done four. what's the fifth and final one
2: oh like okay the final track is uh it's a track called open by the necks do you know the necks this band uh they're like a three-piece australian band um they the, new or old? I mean they've been They've been going since I think 1987 um, So yeah Old I guess um, They're amazing They're incredible They're like a mix of Like Brian Eno Come like Free improvisation Like in a very Jazz sense Of the word um, I mean they're incredible Their songs last like You know 45 minutes Or like an hour long
1: Sounds like Indian music
2: Yeah <laughs> Yeah I mean I'm I'm all for like Long pieces of music like in general like um, and they're incredible because yeah they i mean they just have such a great understanding of each other and the way they like develop songs like it's it's kind of like ambient music but it's played by what i enjoy about it is it's being played by three human beings like and it changes every time as opposed to maybe like Brian Eno who's great as well but you know it's more electronic music in a sense um so I, I, mean, they're incredible. I saw them at Cafe Auto a couple of. Well, it was last year actually at the London Jazz Festival, um, with Evan Parker. Do you know Evan Parker? Yeah. Um, and it was just like one of the best gigs I'd ever seen. Like, it just blew my mind.
1: What do they play?
2: They just played two songs. <laughs>
1: two songs. <laughs> like, no, Forty-five like, what, minutes what each. What Oh, it's on? it's
2: like a very traditional setup. So it's drums, piano, and uh, bass, acoustic bass. So it's like a jazz trio but then it doesn't sound anything like a jazz trio. Like so it's incredible and like yeah, it's really inspiring to kind of see the kind of choices they're making like in a very like spontaneous way. Like I read this article about with the drummer who's saying like he tries not to be clever when he's playing. Like he tries not to like put in like too many like virtuosic ideas or like technical ideas when he's trying to play and he tries to just kind of focus on just being there in the moment and it's the same thing I think ultimately like the more I talk about it to people and like think about it it's that idea of surrender right in your music this idea of like complete like giving in to letting your body or like your your, your music kind of take over and that's what kind of attracts me anyway to like a lot of spiritual music like whether it's folk music or whether it's in jazz or class, in classical music whatever and I think that's the reason why I like folk music so much, or like I gravitate towards like working with folk music because it has that idea. It's it's more easy to kind of uh, delve into that world of like complete complete devotion, you know. Um, and sometimes it's like deeply re- religious, but sometimes it does it isn't. But either way, you know.
1: With your Siddhi musicians that you're recording, I guess it's both, isn't it? It's obviously it's, it's folk music, but then a lot of them are Sufis,
2: yeah, they're deeply like religious people, all their songs are about their the Baba Gore, who's you know their' the patron Sufi saint um and that's you know that's just the way it is for them. It's great like yeah,
1: and there's definitely something about Sufi music, I find at least anyway whenever I listen to it, whichever part of the world it comes from that does have a very transcendental yeah um Side to it Yeah
2: I think that's the That's the whole attempt For them also As performers It's the act of performing Isn't it Rather than what They're actually creating For them it's like The, the, the reason they're doing it Is because they can Themselves also like Transcend Like states In a way And like Yeah I think it's more important Definitely more important What You're kind of Why you're playing Than what you end up Playing In a way Like it'll It'll be fine, whatever it comes out. But like, the reason you're playing needs to be needs to be you need to be sure why you're playing. <laughs> I remember
1: that one. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> oh. um, okay, I, I think, think we've that's had five. That's yeah, five, that's yeah. five tracks, yeah. and we've had a good chat. we Had a good chat. So maybe we should just round it off now.
2: Could do. Because otherwise, we'll
1: be here all day, and no one's going to listen day. to like a ten-hour podcast. No, this is true. This is true. Yeah, but thanks so much for chatting thanks to a lot.
2: me. Thanks a lot for asking.
1: Nice questions. And yeah, I'm sure we will talk again.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Da na 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 na. Kamane zande zaga mane zande zafarama bagamana nizale nizade ni bagamadoro
0: Sarathi Kowar interviewed by Throwing Shade, and now it's time to hear some new releases on the Ninja Tune family of labels. Starting with the excellent Floating Points remix of Life Dancers by The Invisible. Was Life Dancers by The Invisible Remixed by Floating Points Which is out on Ninja June. Next up it's the first single from Romare's forthcoming Love Songs Part 2 LP and this track is titled Who Loves You was Romare with Who Loves You and that's out on Ninja Tune now it's a turn of Brute's Maneuver and the track Don't Breathe Out remixed by Tectonic Bossman Pinch
2: of something, it's awful, it's awful, this pain on the buttons. full of that self-discovery, can't
0: discover me, God alone governs me, I know they don't like the word, but I shall observe and I shall do service, here in the pulpit, the duck po' whom knows it, the twitch is low, get to the blackness, get to the facts, the poor don't relax, the poor do funk, it's so cold, twist and adapt, really. turn to Jesus black, cause we believe it's that way, full of that no need for that was the pinch remix of don't breathe out by roots maneuver and that's on the bleed's deluxe lp on big dada next we have the latest single from thundercat and it's called bus in these streets Thundercat with bus in these streets, a comedic ode to our dependence on technology, and that's our On Brain Feeder. Finally, it's a brand new single from Machine Drum called Do It For You featuring Dawn, and that's from the forthcoming album Human Energy. machine drum with do it for you featuring dawn from his next album human energy coming out on ninja tune that's it for the ninja tune podcast our thanks once again to sarathi korwa and throwing shade and assistant producer luke we'll be back with another edition soon